The passage on which today's teaching is based is found in Mark chapter 5, and I'll be reading from verses 21 through 43. It's also printed in your bulletins. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembled with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. And this is God's word. Good morning, everyone. If you are new, um, we're so glad that you are here with us. We are currently going through our sermon series on the Bible that we thought we knew. Essentially, we're week after week going through uh, some of the more popular narratives in Scripture, um, some of the stories that um, we may have grew up with, um, Christian or non-Christian. You probably heard it in some shape or form. Uh, so what we're doing week after week is uh, we're just kind of uh, re-unfolding re- this text Uh, according to a a gospel light and what it means to our lives today. So I'm going to ask that you would join me in prayer as we dive into the word this morning. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for you are a good and almighty God. For you are glorious and you reign above high. And Lord God, you are so gracious 
that you would allow us to come and rest in you this morning. So, Lord God, may we uh, not come in our shame, may we not come in our sorrow, but may we come in the full joy, knowing, Lord, that you call us to intimacy with you. So, Lord God, may we be uh, receptive to your word, may we hear it well, and may it convict our hearts of our sin and shame in light of hope and glory through the cross of Christ. I desire, Lord, to uh, be an instrument within the Redeemer's hands this morning. So, Lord God, I pray that you will use me powerfully. But, Lord God, may you allow me to be humble. Lord God, that I can seek full dependency on you for your word, for your name, for your glory. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. If you didn't come to the realization just yet, I'm going to inform you guys on a very big truth. Life is very difficult. Life is full of unexpected and unwanted surprises. We are covered with emotional scars, physical affliction, and open wounds for the world to see. Our lives, our churches, our cities, our world is very, very broken. And it doesn't take for much. It doesn't take much for us to realize this truth. We see brokenness within our own lives. We see brokenness within our own relationships. We see that there is sickness and death. There is divorce and addiction, oppression and depression. You look into the brokenness of our churches and our cities where relationships are destroyed because of our gender, color, and class. So the big question becomes for us, who or what can heal us from all of this brokenness? Now, some will say that healing is through modern science. Some will tell you that healing comes through your breathing techniques. Some will tell you that healing comes through a revamped education system. And we know that as good as they may be, and they are very good, they're very helpful, the reality is that they fall short. So surely there must be something greater. In one of my favorite passages, here we find Jesus Christ as a great healer. And I believe that this passage will tell us that he is the ultimate healer, not just of our lives, of our relationships, but above all things. I have four points today as we go through Mark chapter 4, 5, excuse me, and there are four points. The pursuit towards healing, the process in healing, the power for healing, and finally, the promise of healing. The pursuit the process, the power, and the promise. First point is the pursuit 
towards healing. Read verse 21 and 22 with me. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. Now here we are introduced to one named Jairus. Who was Jairus? Well, verse 21 tells us that Jairus was a synagogue ruler, meaning he was a religious leader. He was seen as a righteous man, and he was one of a highly respectable social status. But here we see that this religious leader is actually in need of dire help. Verse 22 tells us that when he saw Jesus, he fell at his Jairus, a high king, falls at the feet of a lowly carpenter, Jesus Christ. Now, this is strikingly odd if you think about this context. For one of kingship to approach Jesus in an act of humility, sincerity, and need, Let's not forget that Mark is actually making it very clear that there is a large crowd surrounding this situation. So for Jairus, a ruler that was willing to bow down to a carpenter amongst a great crowd that's watching him, surely Jairus must be desperate. He's willing to give up his respectability as a king. It's occupational suicide. It's the possibility, the start of a ruined life. So the question is, why and what makes Jairus pursue Jesus so desperately? Well, verse 23, it tells us, it continues. Jairus says, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Jairus is desperate for his little daughter is dying. Place yourselves in the feet of Jairus right now. This is the highest level of fear and anxiety that one could possibly face. The loss of a dearly loved one. So Jairus would be willing to risk it all in hope of healing for his little daughter. What does this tell us? It tells us this. For us to receive healing, wherever it may be in your life, we must pursue it as an act of faith. Just as Jairus came in full-fledged faith to give his all to Jesus, we too must come to the person and work of Jesus Christ in faith for your healing. Now, if I could say this, some of us, all of us need healing, but some of us may not need it in a way that the person next to you may need it. But I do believe, I think the word declares that Christ heals all. If you are in need of healing for your self-righteousness, you must pursue Christ as your righteousness. If you need healing for your anger and jealousy, you must pursue Christ as your ultimate joy. If you need healing for your past circumstance, you must pursue Christ as your forgiveness. So the question for us this morning In what way do you seek redemptive healing from Christ? And in faith, 
Are you actively pursuing him just as Jairus pursued Christ in the crowd? Here's the problem. Due to sin and the sin that stems from your tangled heart, their air of depravity that we breathe in and out, we often finding ourselves entrenched into the fibers of doubt, fear, and it cripples us from going towards the Christ himself. Rather than stepping in faith, we get lost in the crowds of being content in our self-loathing and self-deception. In fact, the problem then becomes more about our content and commitment to crowds rather than a crown. Because at least we can hide and cover our lives. My prayer this morning is that there will be a deep conviction of our brokenness. My prayer is that in uh, admittance and repentance and the need of a healer, that you will come before Christ. My cry is that everyone in this room will pursue restorative healing over your sinful passions for the sake of gospel renewal for yourselves, your relationships, and the city. But if I may give counsel about this pursuit for a healer, it does sound very exciting. You must remember that there is always a process in this healing. That is our second point, the process in healing. Now, as the story continues, we see that Jairus, he runs to Jesus Christ. And what is Jesus' response? Well, of course, he's going to agree with Jairus. Of course, Jesus, in all of his compassion and his love and his grace, will go with Jairus to heal his daughter. So here you think that the point is clear. You clearly can see that there's some type of direct path. But this verse actually tells us that just because your destination is clear, as life continues to show, there are and there will be detours and closed roads towards our destination. And this was the case for Jairus. Verse 24 and 25, read with me. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who there, was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. So what's happening? This narrative just got a little bit more complicated. Because now we kind of move aside the main narrative of, of Jairus' daughter. We're now introduced to all of a sudden another woman with a constant discharge of blood for 12 years. So what happens? She also runs to Jesus. She also runs to Christ in need of a healer. And of course, how does Christ respond? Surely I will heal you. Surely I will save you. Surely I will stop your bleeding. I will set you free. But before we get so thrilled and excited about this outcome, I want us to consider the process. Because Mark, he gives us a little bit more detail about her 12 years specifically. Verse 26, it tells us she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent 
all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So now as we dive into this woman's narrative, we know that her brokenness is beyond physical. It's financial because now she spent all of her money on these doctors. It's emotional for she has been disappointed by numerous doctors and she is a social outcast for she is considered unclean due to her constant bleeding. All that she did, all that, he show, all that she hoped for in modern medicine was clearly in vain. In fact, her condition grew worse. And at the same time, consider Jairus. Consider the process. Because don't forget that in this narrative, her, his daughter is dying. She's not dead just yet. So for him, there's actually probably just a little bit of hope but imagine what Jairus is thinking as he's watching this scene unfold. He's probably saying, I just risked my entire life by giving up my status, my rule, and my life to pursue you in faith. And here you are stopping for somebody else. You are not meeting my needs, King Jesus. You're not working on my time. Jairus has just encountered a detour, and the point is this. Healing in the person and work of Christ, it begins with a pursuit and a disposition of faith, but healing deepens in the sanctifying process and is stretching you and is revealing to you of your brokenness and trust and patience. Healing begins with a pursuit but it deepens in the process. Let it be 12 years of the bleeding woman or maybe 12 minutes for Jairus. The point is that for them to get healing, they had to go through a process of sanctification and repentance for the sake of rebuilding. If I can explain, I remember a few years ago, I was asked to do the simple task of Washing the dishes. Now, as, as I was washing the dishes, a sink filled with water and soap, I didn't realize that the food processor was used. And anything, if you know anything about a food processor, she has very sharp blades. And what I come to realize in a split second, I felt a little prick on my finger, felt a little nick. I said, something's wrong. And as I look down into the water, I'll never forget this. And I'm not trying to sound crude, but my sink in a matter of seconds turned into the Red Sea. And if I, I don't take blood well, so at this moment, I'm like, oh my goodness, Jesus, take the wheel. Uh, I feel like this lady has bleeding for 12 years. Oh my Lord, take me now. And I'll never forget this moment because in this split second, as I felt this nick, all of a sudden, this water filled with soap and dishes, just all red. Now, as bad as it was, because at that moment, as soon as I took my hand out of the water, I was gushing out blood. My finger was pouring out blood. And I remember at the time, the moment, I was thinking, man, I, I should probably go to the hospital. This doesn't look very good. But in my foolish estate, I was thinking, but you know what? I'm a man. Um, I could be prideful about this situation. 
And on top of that, it was pretty late, so I didn't want to move. I didn't want to maneuver to a hospital. So I said, you know what? I'm going to grind this out. I'm going to just be strong. I'm going to put a Band-Aid on, put some paper towels over. I'm going to be okay. Well, probably about four to five hours, I come to the realization that this did not work. I was still bleeding. I mean, it kind of lightened up, but it was still gushing out enough for me to say, hmm, Jesus, I think I need you right now. So what happened was eventually I would go to the doctor. I would eventually get stitched up because that's exactly what I needed. See, in the moment, I needed more than just a Band-Aid. I needed a help from a doctor. In other words, if I went through the process the bleeding would have stopped in a way that it should have. If you pretend that your brokenness and your suffering are just cuts that you can overlook, then the cross at best is just a band-aid for your sins. The gospel at work is heart surgery. And it only happens if you are willing to submit your life into the hands of not just any surgeon, but as Matthew chapter 9 and John chapter 5 would declare that we need the hands of a great physician. Jesus Christ did not come to be a band-aid over what is broken. Jesus Christ came to surgically remove the impurities of your soul. So the question then becomes, how? Leads us to the third point, the power for healing. Read verse 28 through 30 with me. If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. So we continue in the narrative. Here we are. There's complete chaos. There's a large crowd. There's a weeping righteous leader. There is an outcasted woman. But what holds all of this chaos into order is the power of Christ And the bleeding woman, she knew this. She knew that in light of all of the chaos, the only way she could be healed is through a physical touch to Jesus. And it's because of this very touch she was freed from her suffering. What does verse 28 through 30 tell us? It tells us that in this instance, in this moment, the most powerful became powerless for the sake of this woman's suffering. Here we see that there is an exchange of power. The powerful became powerless. It was a transfusion of power. What does this tell us about healing? For us to experience a redemptive healing, someone of power must be willing to offer it. But that Power, that transfusion, requires a sacrifice. Well, later in the book of Mark, we also see another transfusion of power. This time it was a greater transfusion. 
It would be a transfusion of blood, but it does not take place on a hospital bed, for it takes place on an old, rugged cross. But it's in this very transfusion of blood that gives us new life. It's in this transfusion of power that gives us renewal, a righteousness of Christ now imputed into the very veins of our body. Christ's righteousness was transfused into the souls, so we are now redeemed, righteous, renewed. Jesus Christ, his life was poured out empty so you and I can be filled. Jesus Christ, the most powerful, became powerless so you can now live an empowered life of grace. That is our hope. That is the power of our healing. It's the message of the gospel, the powerful message of Christ on the cross. That's not something that we do, but it is because of something that was done. And all we are asked to do as his people is to respond just like Jairus, just like this lady that was bleeding. What does an empowered life look like? See, what I love about this passage, it actually tells us. See, if you look in this passage, Christ could have just left at this point and said, all right, I'm done. Now it's time to go to Jairus' daughter. But that doesn't actually just happen. See, in this passage, in verse 32 and 33, what we see is that Jesus Christ, he, after he heals her, after this power is being absorbed, the powerless, so that she can seek power, Jesus actually goes and looks for her. And we find this in verse 34. He goes up to her. He's pursuing her. He's actually looking for her. Young lady, where are you? Verse 34, daughter, your faith has healed you. But look at this. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Why is this important? See, to go in peace is a declaration that she can now live a life of peace. Meaning that her healing is not just a moment, it was not just an experience, but it's a declaration of who she is in Christ and that identity is permanent. She is no longer bleeding for Christ's blood was shed. She is no longer an outcast for Christ experienced rejection. She is no longer powerless because Christ became weak. Let the power of the gospel, the person and work of Christ. May that be the source of your healing, for it is the renewing of not just any circumstance, but your identity. Your identity. And it comes through the power of the gospel. Well, we continue in the passage and it goes to the main point of the story. We'll continue. And this leads us to our final point, the promise. When we go back to this story, everything looks great, but we forgot that there's someone else involved. And for Jairus, the circumstances actually get a little bit worse. 
This healing of the healing of the woman with a chronic hemorrhage, it actually results in a delay. And now there are horrific results. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. Listen, some of us feel like that life may be just getting a little bit worse. The situation looks a little slim. You're constantly trying to fight against your sin, idolatry, but they just keep on overtaking you. Suffering is surrounding you and maybe you feel a little bit hopeless. But may you, in those moments of sin and suffering, hear the words of Jesus. And it's the same words he would tell Jairus in verse 36. Don't be afraid. Just believe Jesus is declaring to Jairus in verse 36, believe, remember of what I just showed you. Don't fear, for if I have the power to heal this bleeding woman, then I most certainly can heal death. In other words, remember of my promise when I said I would go heal your daughter. When you are in the midst of sin and suffering, may you be reminded, church, that God is with you and is because of what was done previously 2,000 years ago. The healing of the bleeding woman, it was a pledge of the raising of Jairus' daughter. Let the resurrection of Christ be the pledge of a renewed you. Healing is promised. But if I can say this very clear, it may not be the healing of a circumstance, but healing will come in the promise of a person that is with you. He is for you. He is never against you, for he declares on the cross that it is finished. I'll conclude with this. If you could read verse 41 and 42 with me, and I will be out your way. It's the response, it's the outcome of this entire narrative. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. As we desire healing in areas of our lives, as you desire healing in your relationships as we all desire for healing in our city. Be reminded that healing does not come from anything you do. There is no self-prescription for healing. True healing only becomes because someone that was with you, he took you by your hand. He will lead the way for a resurrected life in a resurrected king. Will you join me in prayer this morning?